Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What is the thing that we can all do to really support the growth and development of this child and raise their own belief in what's possible? The educational landscape has shifted. The social mobility is very segregated. Therefore, politically, the same thing is happening. The decisions you make around that child's education are of paramount importance. What can we do that would make educators' lives better? How do we make change that you can see in the classroom? They don't have summers off. They're not on a break. Most of the time that kids are not in school, teachers are still working. To impact our urban public schools, to impact the life of a child, we really wanted to elevate the profile of our city as well as elevate the opportunities that exist in education here. I'm Jen Maestas, and you're listening to Miss Education. Hey guys, it's Jen Maestas. I'm so excited that you've joined us to listen to Miss Education today. I have my friend Lizzie Perez with me. She's amazing. If you don't know her, you should look her up. She's on social media. She's on LinkedIn. And I'm going to let her give you a little intro. All right. I am so excited to be joining my good buddy, Jen Maestas. My name is Lizzie Perez, and I've had about I guess you could say 25 years of experience in education. No, you're not that. I lost track (laughs) in the 20s. But I started back in, I guess it was 1993 in the Garland, Mesquite area. And I was a teacher, coach, school administrator. And then I did that for 15 years in the area and then went to Indiana. And I was a school administrator of a school within a school. And it was one of the coolest gigs I've ever been a part of. Really got to learn more about career in tech education. Came back, finished up on a campus for two years in the middle school arena because I had been doing high school for most of my career, actually all of my career. And then I ended up at Region 20 for five years as a leadership specialist in which I was helping uh, school campuses build and sustain their campus leadership. Everything from discipline management structures to coaching to helping campuses Uh, and school principals primarily to basically get out of improvement required and served as their case manager. And now I'm currently employed at Assessment Intervention Management, also known as AIM. And they have been in operation for seven years working in the special education services. They have hired me as the director of general education, and they would like to boost and open up that side of their company. So I will basically be building that side of the company from the ground up in various capacities. We don't really know what direction we're going until we start going out and uh, seeing what the needs of the campuses are. So I'll be doing a lot of the work uh, that I was doing in Region 20, except at this point at AIM, we take our services not just within the region, but also within the state and even out of state. So I'm excited about the opportunity and I'm excited about being here tonight. I am so glad you're here. Okay, so let me tell you a story about how Lizzie and I met. I guess it's been almost four or five months ago that I wanted, I had a nonprofit idea and it was a networking idea. And my husband, Carlos, would give me such a hard time because he's like, Jen, you don't like to talk to people and you don't want to go anywhere. (laughs) So how are you starting a networking group? And so I really thought about that and I thought, okay, it's not that I don't like people or that I don't want to go anywhere. It's just I was feeling lots of times very tired and I didn't 
I don't know. I'm not great at small talk, so I always and get. See, I don't believe that. <laughs> I, I just. Well, I believe that you love to go in depth. Yeah. So I, I never know. I'm always thinking about, you know, what should I ask Nas next? <laughs> <laughs> what are they really thinking? What should I be thinking? I just get nervous. It's, it's you can't freakish. even it's, tell. It's in my mind. I get, but I just get nervous. So to push myself outside of my own comfort zone and to really think about what networking looks like in the realm of education, I went to a networking event and that's where I met Lizzie. And it was like instant BFFs. It totally was. I got to meet Jenny Rosas as well. And I just basically threw myself at (laughs) Jen and said, oh, you need to put me on your board. I'd be happy to help. I've been looking for an opportunity like this. And we were... We graciously accepted. And then not long after, we took a trip to Austin, and it was the best road trip. It was like the funniest, quirkiest (laughs) two hours I've had in 15 years, Uh, mostly because my sister-in-law was also there, Jenny, and uh, she cracks my guts up. So we just, we, we really, but what I appreciate the most about Lizzie is that she is extremely intelligent and knowledgeable about what's happening in education. And she's coming to at least our SALT table, our San Antonio Leaders and Teachers table with a perspective um, that's similar, but very different from what um, the rest of us are coming to the table with. And so I always enjoy our conversations, Lizzie, um, because I'm always like, oh, you're so right. And that's <laughs> such a good point. And that really made me think. So thank you. Thanks for coming to our podcast. And thanks for being on our board. Um, and thanks for being so smart. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I think we are synchronized in our in our beliefs and our, our uh, talks. And it just it's so refreshing to sit at a table and engage in conversations about things that really, really matter and why we do the work we do. And it's just, it's a beautiful thing because you don't always find that. And when you do, you say, gosh, I got to hold on to this gal. And I'm just thrilled that you created SALT because otherwise we wouldn't be here doing this podcast and engaging in some good conversation that we're about to talk about. Yeah. You know, so one of those things that we talked about, we, we started talking about what what do we want our mission to be? What do we want our goals to be? What are the hot topics? And we went to Austin to investigate how to submit a proposal for a South by Southwest Edu Conference, which I did not even realize existed uh, until I left my full-time principal job. I think I was just not in the headspace. I'm sure they sent me emails. I'm sure they did. I'm sure other (laughs) people told me about it, but I was not in, uh, I didn't have the capacity to do any investigation on that. So when we went to Austin, we found out how to submit a proposal. We came back to San Antonio and we started working together on what what ideas do we think that um, are worth talking about? And one of those ideas was the perception that that people have, the perception teachers have about teaching, the perception the community has about teaching, um, perceptions that are around public education, uh, around the options that exist in San Antonio. There are so many things that we can dive deep into. And so during one of those conversations, Lizzie, you brought up a new concept to me that I hadn't heard of. It was kind of the basis for a a short book called Dream Hoarders. So do you want to tell everybody what that's about? Yeah, so I had the opportunity to to go to Dallas in early June for the Elevate Ed conference that the Holsworth Center was putting on. And they had an amazing panel. And each one of the the panel members there were just intriguing with their concepts and, and thought processes on basically education and the economy. And I never really looked at things kind of like you. I wasn't in the head, didn't have the headspace to really start looking at things like economy and education. I think when you're in education and you're thrown into the uh, the bullpen, if you will, of uh, the everyday operations that you don't oftentimes get the opportunity to step out and look at things. So I was uh, excited to explore and learn and lead about what they were going to talk about. So Richard Reeves wrote the book, Dream Hoarders, How the American Upper Middle Class is Leaving Everyone Else in the Dust, Why That is a Problem, and What to Do About It. And I was so intrigued because what he basically said is people at the top 1%, usually even the top 0.01%, are hoarding income and wealth, while other Americans are basically stagnant. And what 
is more important about it, it's really widening the gap in American society between the upper middle class and everyone else. And I thought it was just fascinating because the term dream hoarder, I'd never heard that concept and Me opportunity neither. hoarding. And I, I'm diametrically opposed to hoarding. <laughs> <laughs> just by nature. So when you said it, it kind of made me giggle. And I was like, what do you mean, dream hoarding? We got an intervention. I, I, yeah, right. we need an intervention. <laughs> Put it in the keep or the, tro- the right. throw pile. And then be done. And, and then be done with it. So I really was interested in hearing a little bit more. And for those of you that don't know what she's talking about, you need to get online, go to Instagram, go to Facebook, and find the Holdsworth Center. Ask your colleagues. Ask around. They are essentially like a brain trust of educators. Um, if you're leading a school or you're you're leading a classroom, I'm making an assumption, so don't get mad at me. But I'm going to make the assumption that you may or may not have already heard of the Holdsworth Foundation or the Holdsworth Center. So take a minute and Google that. Look it up. Um, and Lizzie's going to keep going with with her exciting yeah, <laughs> debrief. So- So what's interesting about this idea of dream hoarding is basically we know that the top 20% of American society really is able to get as the best education, the best housing, the best healthcare, and the ability to live a longer life. So the lifespan increases. Um, But I think what's so even further interesting is this really, when when they are able to get to the top of that income ladder, they're becoming more effective at passing on their status to to their children, which isn't a bad thing, but what it ends up doing to everyone else, it, it reduces the overall social mobility. So we already politically are divided in this nation. Right. So then you add the realm of educationally divided and then socially divided, we start to widen that gap so much that we don't know who we are from one person to the other person. And then you and I talked about, well, how does this affect our city here in San Antonio? Right. How does it affect campuses as a school principal and how you navigate the waters of determining how to create this positive learning environment for your for your kids, no matter the economic wealth is of your children? That is a very difficult task to accomplish, especially um, in a city that is still economically segregated. You know, we still have pockets of our city, if you were to look by zip code, that are in that upper middle class echelon. And we have pockets of the city who have been in generational poverty decades um, long. And so it is it is a challenge. It's a challenge to break down those barriers. It's a challenge to um, create some economic diversity in each zone of the city. Uh, it's it's not something that is just already in place. It's something we really have to work at. And you mentioned a second ago that the life expectancies can be affected and be different. And I, I uh, heard that. I heard that in a speech, and I, I've seen the statistics um, a couple of different places. Uh, when we were prepping for today, I just kind of did a Google search. So please, I'm not, I, I'm not the resident expert on any of this data. Um, Google is. <laughs> there are resident experts. <laughs> there are experts, and and uh, quite frankly, we'd love to have you on our podcast. So just let us know when you're ready. But I did just in a preliminary Google search find a 2016 report, and it gives life expectancies in San Antonio by zip code. And I will tell you that there is like between a, a 10 to 15 to even 20 to 25 year life expectancy discrepancy based on what zip code you live in in San Antonio. Did you know that? I didn't. I think I heard about it. If I heard about it, it must not have really sunk in. But when you mentioned those numbers, my heart just kind of went boom. Like you're around these students and now to look at students and think, okay, if they're in the seven, eight, uh, what is that? Two zero seven. Right. Their lifespan significantly drops by years. And that's an example of what ends up happening when you are hoarding dreams and only wanting what's best for your little, uh, I guess you say family and saying, I just want my sons and daughters to go to a great school and do well and 
I'm going to help them to succeed. Right. And maybe they'll even go as far out as saying, I want my little suburbia, if you will, our cul-de-sac of of kids that live in the area to do the same. And it's not that anybody I've ever heard or, or uttering the words of, I don't really care about all others who no, live outside our zip code. It's not malicious at no. all. I, I, and I think that's even more fascinating uh, because... You can get caught in the bubble. You can get caught in your microcosm of your neighborhood down down the street and not even realize the damage it's doing. And again, I'm even thinking with Richard Reeves' book, he actually talks about the top 1%, but even more so the upper middle class as those whose incomes are in the top 20% of American society is really who he's talking about. But I also feel like it's not even the upper middle class. It's middle class. Yeah. Um, and I... I I feel that. I've seen that. Uh, we do get really, really, uh, maybe even on our pulpit of saying, these kids of mine will do well and I'll do whatever it takes. Right. And imagine if we all had that same mentality for every kid in our city, every kid in our state, every kid in the U.S. And we, we felt the same way because it's very simple. It's not hard math. If right. every kid has the same educational advantage, then our economy prospers. Exactly. So therefore, why wouldn't we want these dreams to be spread out to all kids, right? right. It seems simple. Right. It does. But I have heard, I've had many conversations, each one different, but each one alike. You know, I've had conversations with my friends who have said, I'm going to send my student to a private parochial school. Um, because that is where you can get the absolute best education that San Antonio has to offer. I have heard other friends say charter school, public charter school is where it's at because they aren't so restrictive and they are smaller. Their classroom size is smaller. They're more attentive. I have had friends who have said, I'm going to send my son or daughter to a variety of other options that exist. And in most of those cases, the other option cost something. Mm -hmm. There are, there didn't used to be a lot of options that didn't cost something as an alternative to your neighborhood public school. And so when we're talking about economics and we're talking about wanting what's the absolute best for your own student and your own family, so much of that is worked into what you can afford. Yeah. When we talk about the upper middle class, I mean, these are families who know what 529 college saving plans are about. They know and understand that there's even exclusionary zoning, occupational licensing, legacy admissions. You know, what is their family's legacy? Well, their family's legacy could be that they've gone to an Ivy League school. Everybody's gone through uh, the same school. Think about those students of low income. Uh, what is their legacy, their family legacy? Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't have the same opportunity. So so you'll hear the term dream hoarding, and you also hear opportunity hoarding. It's kind of used synonymously um, as, as the upper middle class, and it's unfortunate. So then you and I talked about, well, what is that look like if if we're just taking middle income families right in SAISD in Northside in Northeast in our rural communities um, what is that what does that look like and then how hard is it for our educational leaders to to create a culture that is you know maybe even about social justice and things of that nature when we are divided educationally politically and socially and, and all these uh, kind of have our backs up against the wall and so principals are, are already faced with many demands and now you add this culture piece that is far more demanding than it's ever been right and so what do you do i mean that's and you know we're not we're not here to to bash upper middle class or the top 2% or anyone who has made a choice to seek out the best educational opportunity Um, that you can find for your kids. It's not about that. It's about bringing awareness to the conversation and bringing some ideas across that sound like, what about everybody else? Yeah. What about the student that doesn't have uh, a story? Uh, Sometimes it is somebody else's story that inspires yours. 
You hear that someone else did it in your family and therefore you can too. Or you know somebody who did it or you see somebody did it and you hear their story and then you think, oh, well, I can do that too. That's how I do it. I can watch that. I can know that and I can replicate that. But if you have no story, then what do you replicate? What do you look to? Where do those answers come from? I got goosebumps, you see? (laughs) I got goosebumps because I started thinking about legacy in terms of the upper middle class or the middle class, and and maybe that's you know where their kid has gone and what colleges and their grandfather and but when I think about legacy with kids who don't have those opportunities, then maybe that is their legacy, right? Is that they don't have a story, so they will be yeah. the first to create that story. So there there starts the legacy, uh, but it looks very different than someone who lives in the seven eight. 023 zip code or the 78209 zip code. It looks different for them. Uh, So it just kind of made me go, wow. Many many of us are are drawn to people who create their own stories and are motivated to to not stay in that zip code, to want to move or help support their family and do what it takes to get that quality education. Uh, And I think right now the big talk has been about open enrollment and what it can do for district. And I remember reading somewhere in regards to SAISD saying that they're trying to to uh, work on the the quadrants that are the lower SES blocks uh, in the neighborhood to bring in these magnet schools, but to make sure that they don't get caught in where everybody's getting caught in that educational disparity of making sure that at least 50% of the students enrolled in their magnets come from that, from the kids in that zip code. And then the other 50% is open enrollment. Uh, So I'm not sure where that uh, stands at this point, but I remember uh, reading about that thinking, okay, that that's going to begin to shift things. I I would hope uh, for those kids that that live in that zip code that deserve to have that quality education as well. I think that, you know, one thing I, that I find really unique about that situation is we talk a lot about diversity and we talk a lot about wanting to create atmospheres and cultures that are, are very diverse and that have lots of representations of different backgrounds. And But in my mind, I, I almost, and this I know this is naive of me, but I almost always think about ethnic diversity before I think about economic Mm. diversity. And so when I've thought through those conversations that I've had with just different people about how diverse a campus can be, I've never really thought about the diversity in economic status as a layer of we should be diverse because everybody's bringing a new set of background experiences to the table that we can learn from. Policy comes into this, the political aspect comes into this, that in order for this to change, then the top 1% has to want to tax the top 1%. And so that's not an easy thing to say, yep, I'm, I want I want to share the wealth. Right. Not everybody's very keen of raising their hands. Yeah, let's do this. Let's let's tax all the top 1%. I'm okay with that when you're the 1% that right. would be taxed. Um, uh, so it becomes this, uh, Reeves, the author of the book, said, sensible policy is not always easy politics. And it's kind of like, amen, right? It, yeah. it sounds very sensible, but that is not easy to do. And we've heard the the uh, political divide on that and where everybody stands in regards to that. that. I mean, I feel like I'm 48 years old and I've never in my years have felt like we're so divided, not just as a country, but even in our city, it's so segregated. And even, you know, if, if you're going to the doctor's office or you're going to the supermarket, meet the teacher and I, it doesn't matter. It feels so segregated that everybody has their dreams for their kids mm-hmm. and they're on a mission. I'm on a mission. Everyone's on a mission and we seem so separated. And it, and it it breaks my heart because I feel like that does impact our kids sitting in those seats day in, day out. But I also think nobody's talking about it. 
I tend to agree with you. It's like I said, I, I've had conversations about diversity. I've had conversations about teaching and educating with poverty in mind. I've had conversations about what uh, cycles of poverty can induce in a person and in a community and how how you can use that. I mean, th- those things are, you know, I always used to get annoyed when people would come and say, oh, you're, they're so disadvantaged. And I would think, no, you that is the wrong term. If anything, we have an advantage because it is adversity that gives you a skill set that you can't find minus adversity. So if anything, if you're coming from a low economic status, you have an advantage because you have grit and you have creativity and you have... And that's what uh, begins that legacy for that kid. Exactly. So if anything, you know, I, I have seen time and time again, all of our students are determined and the parents are determined to make something great happen in their life. I heard a term yesterday uh, by Dr. Teresa Garfield at Texas A&M, the chair of the special ed department, and she likes to use the term underheard. Uh, Not underserved or under uh, disadvantaged, but underheard. And I thought that was really, so I of course wrote that down and said, I will use that too, (laughs) because I think that's the best piece is that they are underheard. uh, And what people are not hearing is, the quality of their education is is not the same, mm-hmm. and so how do we how do we get to that place of equality with education and and what can we do on our part? That's I think the biggest question of all. So I do not have all of the answers. <laughs> I don't know how to answer that question except to say that one we can have the conversations. We need to have the conversations all of the time, and it's okay to be wrong about it. I mean, I don't. I. I you can fact check me all day, every day, and I'm probably going to get things, some things wrong. There are a lot of things that I do know, though. And one thing is that we don't have the conversations often enough, teacher to teacher, principal to principal. A lot of the conversations are happening in forums and online and in leadership development series, and that they're not necessarily reaching the masses of Mm. educators and the masses of principals that are happening that are that are doing the work out in the schoolhouse you know you bring up a really good point of advocacy and student agency and parent agency and student you know however you want to use those terms but advocacy is so important i run a teacher leadership academy and was doing that at region 20 and have continued to uh, do it with aim and part of what we talk about is the educational landscape has shifted, okay, just like we talked about earlier. So then the social mobility is very segregated too. And therefore, politically, the same thing is happening. And back when I was teaching the classroom, the last time I set foot in a classroom as a teacher was 2004. Right. So it's been a, yeah. a long time. And uh, I can tell you that while I was teaching, it, it was my goal to not only teach, but to serve in other capacities and to grow professionally uh, because I knew down the road I wanted to be a school administrator. But we never talked about advocacy. We never really were taught what that looked like. We didn't uh, know much about uh, school finance. Right. Uh, we didn't know how we were funded uh, to the depths of how we might know it now, only because it's such a a big topic here, especially in our state. But I think that teacher leadership is such an important piece. We have to share the leadership. The principal cannot, with the demands that she are facing every day, with the new accountability system, with school finance and uh, budgeting a big problem, uh, with the educational landscape that we've been talking about, with all it the has social crises that happen absolutely on a day-to-day basis. So advocacy is so important for teachers. And so what does that look like? It, it To me, it looks like I'm really pushing my teacher leaders uh, to, when well, they have to pick a risk-taking opportunity. And that means they've got to kind of step out of their comfort mm-hmm. zone and work on a project for the whole year. And I really push for them to sit alongside the legislators to, yeah. uh, to really work with the, the superintendent cabinet and find out as much as they can about how do laws get passed? How strong is your voice? What can you do to really make legitimate change? And what does that look like? I just, 
I'm not saying that every teacher needs to go out and march and every principal right. and, and put up. The, but but I think we've come to that place where we have to realize that together we achieve more. And right. in order for that to happen, we may have to abandon some other pieces. But when I visit with teacher leaders, the first thing they say is the demands of this teacher, the school teacher these days are so significant themselves that they are caught up in the in the everyday operations, the everyday teaching, uh, that they don't have the energy to say, okay, now on my free exactly. time, whenever that right. is, from that's, two to four in the morning. That's the exact thing <laughs> I, that we started the podcast with. Is Carlos accusing me of not liking people and not wanting to get out. And I was like, it's not that. I'm dead. I'm to the dead. World. When I get home, I don't want to answer another question. I don't you know. Because... You, I think statistically, school administrators make between like three and five thousand decisions in a day. Mm. So to decide to do one more thing, <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. It is. It is. It, it reminds me of our iPhone or Android as a multitude of apps, and you get so caught up and distracted by all of them because you know uh, this one could help you schedule your day, but oh, but this one's just like that one. And you get so so confused about which one you want to go with. I feel like that's how it is for educators these days. They're like, oh my gosh, there's so many opportunities, so many things to do. I don't know which one to do, but if I just concentrate on teaching, then then I'm okay. Right. And I think that's very true. But imagine a, a school thinking differently, all right? So I want you to just picture this. Within the school day, what would it look like if, if advocacy was inserted in the rotation of a schedule for teachers? So Students are going to class, right? They go from math to English. Mm-hmm. Next period, they go to PE. What would it look like if teachers had an, I'm just throwing this out there, had an extra period. Maybe there's some some particular campuses that are lucky enough to have double block and they have a PLC, a professional learning community in one hour, then they have planning in the other hour. What if there was a third opportunity and it was advocacy and that's where teachers learn to become advocates for the things that they're doing on their campus. And what would that look like? You know, you take trips right. to Austin. Uh, Can you imagine? Who, who bringing in professors to kind of teach them the ropes, the superintendent. Uh, I'm just thinking if we can insert the day, then, then they don't then feel the like they're bombarded. a little bit solved, right? Yeah, a, so little, a little bit of the problem gets solved. And then, and then they have a voice and they learn how to exercise their voice. Because I guarantee you every teacher has an opinion. Oh, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Every teacher. You give them a platform. Oh, and then, then once they get started, they don't want to stop. I think we should create a model. I'm sitting here thinking like, what amazing. if we create this model of of what this might look like? And so then, of course, the, the thing that comes up next is, well, budgeting. You know, what would that sure. look like in your budget? But the, the bigger question is, what is what do we want to achieve? And, right. And how can we be heard? It kind of goes back to the South by Southwest proposals of let's listen to teachers. They're the ones in the trenches. How do we get their voice to be heard? Well, I think things in the school, they have to change and, and budget needs to be, uh, I guess, fixed in a way that shows that that is of high importance. I agree. But something's got to give along the way. If you had those opportunities, you could also refine your thinking and Mm -hmm. you could refine your, what you want to advocate for. You because know, I think sometimes what happens, and you and I have had this conversation before, is you, you sort of latch on to a favorite problem. <laughs> and I had this boss that used to tell me, Jen, you're admiring the problem again. It's <laughs> such a freaking so amazing to problem do. to have. And we could stand here and talk about the problem and look at what a big problem it is. And my problem is so much bigger than your problem. And this problem is just unsolvable. It's just this massive, like amazing problem. The, yeah. Right. But all we've done is admire the problem when we walk away from the table and all we've done is say hey that was such a great problem to talk about i always learn so much from you i've never heard that one was jose moreno thank you mr moreno boss (laughs) thanks boss Um, i love it but he used to say that we can't just sit around and admire the problem and i think that that sometimes is what happens when we have a, a community of educators that get together for a second yeah we admire the problem right and we get caught up because in that we, web. Because we haven't learned or practiced the advocacy, 
that you were just talking about. Right. It's like we know what the problem is and we have an opinion about it. So and I we almost can give see you examples a, of it. Right. And so it, you'd have to delineate almost like a course. This is our course on advocacy because then then it takes us to the place where even the dream hoarding that we're talking about is is not just something we're talking about. It's it's now like, well, how does this affect where you are right now as a teacher? How does it affect your students and that are sitting in those seats? How passionate are you that you want them to have equal opportunity in their education? So how about we do something about right. it? Who do we know? Yep. That's the other question that we Ooh. can ask. Who do we know? Who do you know in your personal network that can affect that outcome for that student? You know, I, I, I will go back again and again and again and say, when you have a direct connection to an influencer, absolutely, then you can create some really cool, innovative ways to solve the problem or at least make the problem less of a problem. Mm -hmm. When you, but sometimes it's like you just don't even know who's the right person to ask for permission. Should we be asking for forgiveness instead? It, it reminds like, who me of, the person? of uh, Daniel Coyle's book I was telling you about, yes, The Culture Code. I'm excited to read and that. And I can't think of the owner of Zappos, but he calls those collisions. And the more collisions, he actually has his team uh, basically be evaluated by the number of collisions they have. And what he means are collisions by when you run into someone, are you able to connect them to the right person to move things forward and then when at what point does that collision stop or or right. is it still going on right uh, and what that basically means is exactly what you said it's a connection that puts people in touch with others i remember for my superintendent class i had to uh interview a councilwoman so i interviewed rebecca viagran i think in district three and she said lizzie we have got to connect people to other people. There's no sense in you doing this work and someone over here exactly. in San Antonio is doing the same work. Exactly. And then someone over here on the east side is doing the same work. We have to connect each other. And the more we connect, she said, I feel like that's what I do. I, She said, and I'm pretty certain that's what you do. But what if we all did it? Then we've got the right people seated at the table to then make effective changes. And again, if we go back to, to Horton Dreams, our little circle at SALT, for example, it, like if we just kind of went outward with Okay, who, do we, who know? do we know? We could make a dent, you know. Absolutely. And so, so advocacy, I think, with teacher leadership goes hand in hand. And I'm not saying that's the only way to to kind of get to the point of because because we're talking about government too, you know, like right. well, can we really make a change with uh, changing or, or taxing the top one percent, you know, even more so I that it makes substantial think change? So much of it is. Number one, staying informed, but number two, voting. I mean, I heard a scary statistic about teacher turnout for voting that uh -oh. I don't even want to repeat because it's too scary to think oh, about. Like as in like nobody. How many teachers, how many educators are actual voters in our local elections, in state oh, elections? Jane, you got to tell me. Oh, Lizzie. <laughs> I don't know if it's right, so I don't want to say it, but I will, okay. I will tell you that it, it, it's. It's astounding. It's astounding. It's just. It's absurd. It's like, wait a minute. But but it kind of goes back to what the proposal for South by Southwest that we put in about we have to be heard, right? Do you think that teachers time and time again feel like their voice is not heard, so why bother? It's the apathy, right? It's I don't care because nobody cares about me. Sure. Uh, and I'm not saying it with that tone and that approach, right. but it's it's almost like you throw in the towel and go, well... We'll it's, get taken I, care of. I feel like it's almost like, well, it's this is just the way that it is. Acceptance. It's kind of it's always been this way, and it's not that bad, you right? Know, we, I'm alive. I, I've got I've got a paycheck. Right. I've got health like, benefits. Yeah. So you know, and it could and be worse. The best thing about teaching is that you are making a difference mm -hmm. every day. You're making a difference, one student at a time, one conversation at a time regardless of whatever policy you're living out, regardless of whatever administrative, administrative decision has come down the pike, mm -hmm. you, you still really are making those differences. And so I think that sometimes that interferes with, 
I guess your own personal sense of urgency to look at the big picture. Because in the small picture, what I'm doing is mattering to the 15 people or Hmm. 30 people that are right here in front of me. So I'm not necessarily, it's the well, same kind of like, I'm not thinking about everybody else so it across goes back the city. To the it goes back to the same, global the same idea. Like, individual. Right, like I, I know I matter. I matter to the to the kids that come and tell me I matter every year that send me letters that say- And that's good enough best, for me. It is right? good and it's good stuff. Right, and there's nothing wrong there's with that, right? nothing wrong because, with that. I mean, I'm, I can attest to that. I, you know, I'm, I'm conquering the world by my- my students in my class and this is what I do. Isn't that what I was hired to do? I did, I wasn't hired to advocate for teachers and No. Uh, you so know. when I would go, we would have monthly principal meetings and this is I just I'm going to own this. It's bad, but I'm going to own it. We had <laughs> monthly principal meetings. So you have, you know, 60 to 70 principals in a room. And I knew that I was not ever going to have to speak up because someone else was going to do it. It was probably Lizzie Bettis. (laughs) (laughs) It was the Lizzie in the room was going to be the person that said, you know, I don't know about that idea. My friends put their head down and like, oh, no, not again. Lizzie's speaking. (laughs) Yeah. I just knew I wasn't going to have to be me because there was going to be someone in the crowd. And to be like, okay, but like, that's okay. Because I don't think verbally that everyone has to, to speak up because I think we do get get um, kind of used to the fact that someone is going to speak. Right. But then what if someone doesn't? Exactly. You know? So I can see that in, in classroom settings or in leadership roles, that you kind of make the assumption that if you don't do it, someone else is going to mm-hmm. get to it. Someone else is going to bring it up. Someone else is having those conversations with your city representatives, with your state representatives, someone else is doing it. The Mm -hmm. Holdsworth Center is going to do it. UTSA is going to do it. Trinity University Mm -hmm. is doing it. So it doesn't necessarily have to be me. But what we're saying is it does. Yeah. It actually, it absolutely has to be us. It it has to be us and it has to be smart and, and, and it has to be collective and it has to be rooted in some ideals that we've worked out through collaboration. I like that. Going back to this idea of how, again, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to Teacher Leadership Academy because I really, this is a huge passion of mine. I I, I just want to arm and equip our teachers with the understanding that they are more than just a teacher. And what does that look like? And advocacy advocacy is one avenue, right? But I just I just go over and over and over with them about the circle of influence, circle of concern, Covey's whole piece. Right. And because constantly it's very easy to fall into the trap of, well, you know, I don't really have much control. control. And so I tell them time and time again, which I refer to public impacts, top turnaround competencies in a leader and a teacher leader. And they did 30 years of research in top companies and how they were able to turn things around. Uh, and one of them was impact and influence. And it's also a Gallup strength finder. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's one of the categories, I believe, is how influential are you? And teachers are so impactful and influential. They're the most impactful and uh, influential person on the campus. And so they have the ability to make dents in the universe, like Steve Chobes used to say. They have the ability to do that. And with enough impact and influence, it can change the control. Right. And so is it tiresome? Yes. Is it hard work? Yes. But I think if you're looking at redesigning, for example, a schedule of the day and and, and shifting monies to make that a priority, if you want, you know, <laughs> then advocacy has to be in there almost like a course for teachers. Or you call it teacher leadership, and that's just one of the avenues you uh, induct them into so that they have an idea of what that looks like. I mean, I'd be curious to, to see what that could look like and, and think about all the schools that could implement something like that that could then start to make bigger dents mm-hmm. uh, and, and affect the way the educational equity is distributed. 
it and starts again, there. Like some of this work is already being, it's being done. It's just not being done with necessarily classroom teachers or school administrators. We have, the, we have great stuff. Yep. We have, we have a leadership, SEISD, mm-hmm. who is taking community members through a semester long course of just learning about school policy and the influencers of school policy and, and, and giving community members a very specific purview of what's happening in the school mm-hmm. district so that they can advocate out in the community and in other industries. And we have, we have lots of other things that are happening That's in true. our city um, that are grooming people. We have, we have tech block that groom people to think about what's happening in the tech industry and what laws are influencing the rate of progress. You know, these are things that are already happening in other places. I feel like we just need to take that yeah. and and put it into place. But we also have to have people who are willing well, to come to it. So, so then it makes me think of mindsets and mental models and belief systems and ideology and all those things because like you and I sitting here, Jen, like we're like, yeah, we get it. Right. We are passionate about it. But not everybody is because it goes back to what you said earlier. I could get caught in my microcosm for which I was paid to do was to teach these kids here as a principal. My job is to to take care of this campus of 350 or 700 or 1300 kids. Um, and that is my job. And right. I I give it all I've got. And now you want me to do this on top of that? Well, since I'm not getting paid for that piece, then it only makes sense for me to do what I've been doing. Right. And so you just get caught in that it's very hamster true. wheel of everyday stuff. Yeah. Which is important. And it changes lives. And it's great. And you do impact. And you do you do influence. every day. Uh, so it, it goes back to if not me, then who? If not now, then when? Um, so who's it going to be? And when's it's it going to be happen? us, Lizzie? There you go. <laughs> whoop, whoop. <laughs> Salt. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Uh, I haven't actually read Richard Reeves' book, Dream Hoarders. I sat in that panel or listened to that panel and was enamored. And because I'm reading 47,000 books at one time, <laughs> it feels like uh, one day I will get to it. But I've read enough critiques on it and how America's becoming this class-based society. And perhaps that could start a revolution if we all jumped in to read this book just to kind of get idea. Now, obviously, there's going to be critiques on the on the book of uh, maybe even to the point of, okay, Richard Reeves, what are you doing <laughs> yeah. right, to help the educational landscape? I'm sure there's some pieces that, you know, there's always going to be reviews that show the the uh, the side of things where there's not really the, the right frame of mind or again it's it's a it's all about your frame of reference so this is his frame of reference and there could be some some holes in it right but i haven't read it i can't speak to that but i just was so taken aback and learned a lot by what that looks like and then i i'm going to be honest with you jen i have close people in my life that i i know for a fact don't really care uh, about other people other than their their own little community of their own family and maybe again their neighborhood block yeah or or their their kids friends i think friends. we all have what? i think we all have friends and family sure that could fall into that category sure i think we've all been those people at some point but it I mean, it, it kind of goes back to uh mr rogers neighborhood uh before we could ever be good people we've got to be you know, good to self, obviously, that always believe that we have to take care of self, but we got to be good neighbors. And I'm just now, I I should say just now figuring that out. Uh, I feel like I have that kind of energy uh, associated with me when it comes to connecting with people and relating to people. Um, But I feel like even my own neighborhood, I don't really know the people. I'm best friends with our neighbors, Jack and Charlene, who are... 90 years old and I love them and I take care of them and they yeah. take care of us. And they're the only ones that I lean on because 
I have a deep love and relationship with them and right. I give them my time and attention that I, I also, also it kind of goes back to the teaching and the principalship is, so I'm working, working, working. And then I, then I want to go see them and I take care of them and they've yeah. got some needs that I don't have the time to right. go to my neighbors across the way that just right. moved there right. six months ago. Right. But I think that whole idea of we can get caught in the depths of one area of our our jobs that it pulls us away from looking at the global view for in this case our economy yes i guess that's our ask right is we're asking everybody that's listening to take a minute to take a minute Mm -hmm. and get to know somebody that you don't already know and to take a minute to think about who do you know who do you know that you could tell your story to because it'll matter to them and they'll influence something somewhere Mm -hmm. along the way or who do you know that you can connect someone else that you know with so they can do the same thing? Sure. Who, who can you do? Who can you make that collision happen for? And if you don't know us, me, Lizzie, Salt, we want to get to know you. So look for us. We're, we're, I feel like now we're kind of all over the place, all no. over the city. <laughs> yeah. I, but, but Jay, you just made me think of, of something. Um, I was blessed to have one of the best principals ever. And anybody who is on our campus, I guarantee is saying the same thing about Dr. Jeannie Stone. Jeannie Stone is now the superintendent of Richardson ISD in North Texas. Amazing. You need to follow her. She's at 3J Stone. At 3JSTONE. Superintendent of Richardson School. Schools. And I'm looking her up right now. She is I, I don't even know how to put this in words, but when you were talking about connecting, so every year as a principal, we had a theme and, and it was full fledged, all out leadership team, like did skits. They went all out and they made sure that every message every day, all day throughout the entire year was surrounded by this theme and everything they did and everything we did as a community in our school was went back to the theme and one of the uh her theme this year is risd connects hashtag risd connects and i mean if you just follow that hashtag yeah that's and see right what now. not only Jeannie's doing but all of her employees and students it, it blows my mind how her relationships with people are so deep and personal and I, I guarantee you're going to, if you don't know Jeannie Stone now, you will be hearing whether she's going to be one day an HEB ex- Excellence Superintendent of the Year, or if she's, I don't know, uh, going to be at a panel at, at Midwinter. You're going to hear about Jeannie Stone if you haven't already. And I, and I feel honored to ever have worked with someone who not only is so passionate about teaching, about education about kids she's passionate about people and and like the the idea of people and connecting them and well i want to meet her now oh my gosh she's she's unbelievable so so when i looked at that uh, risd connects is you have to connect it it goes back to to daniel coyle's book culture code and talking about the zappos owner and collision and how we have to do that so we may be all over the place, which is good right now, like in, in what we're talking about, but it, it makes you think deeply. And I think the more dialogue, like what we're having right now via a podcast, right, is it helps generate more ideas, therefore, and hopefully action. Uh, it's no different than your self-reflection at the end of the day, and whether that's through journaling, uh, whether that's having a conversation with your, your partner or spouse. I, I think that's the way to do it is the more conversations and dialogue we have, the more we learn from each other and the more we realize, oh, I know someone that can connect someone else to yes, this. I was just seeing that. I'm like, yeah. oh my God, the more we talk, the more things I realize I know. Right. Like I, oh, right. I do have something to say about that. And that's kind of a unique thing I'm learning with a podcast is I would I never, <laughs> I would never have imagined that I had so many things to say and I would have never done a podcast if someone hadn't asked me to do a podcast. Isn't that fascinating? And no one would have asked me to do the podcast if I didn't, if I weren't already friends with them. And the conversations I was having with Lorenzo 
over dinner, over a glass of wine with my husband. Those are the conversations that led him to say, hey, Jen, why don't you host a podcast? And because he's my friend, I was like, okay, I'll try. You know, let me think about and who I know. What's so funny is that you're a natural. And I got to hear your uh, first one. And I was like, oh, my God, Jen is a <laughs> natural at this. You really are. And I would not. You speak myself? so eloquently and and you're knowledgeable. Okay, for everyone who is not here in this room watching us, I have a <laughs> large glass of wine in front of me <laughs> that assists with that. <laughs> Whatever it takes. <laughs> so I don't know if that counts as natural, <laughs> but it does help. <laughs> I think we all need a, a, it's like a nudge, right? Yeah. You just need a nudge. But no, I, I just think that so here you are, right? And think about now you're broadcasting your knowledge, your voice outside to San Antonio and someone's going to be listening and someone's going to be going, ah, I know who I need to connect. Like like the wave is spreading. Uh, and so I think that's what it's about. I, I really do. I think we, we started off talking about dream hoarding and, and how the disparity of education even in our own city is 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 hurting the impoverished community and they just don't have all the advantages of the other but if you keep talking and and cutting that up then you end up realizing oh we need more human connection yeah. we need more conversations uh, because that's ultimately how things get done that's exactly. how shit gets done. Yeah. You know someone who knows someone. You talk about it. You figure it out. That's how it yeah. gets done. I ah. picture, I don't know you, I just had this picture of of that typical JPEG that you see when you put something like connect and it has all those cut out people holding yeah. hands around yeah. the planet. <laughs> and I picture that and it's so kumbaya-ish, kumbaya-ish, if mm -hmm. that's such a word. Um, but you ask anybody, I think uh, I finally figured out like my purpose in the job I do and was able to kind of wrap my brain in, in a package way that says, oh, I'm Lizzie and this is what I do. And I discovered that through working with, I, I'm a leadership specialist and, and that's a big thing. And what I've come to discover is I help to unravel or uh, no, not to unravel. I help to, to develop the personhood. And oftentimes that doesn't really get a lot of credit right. <laughs> and not saying that I'm looking for credit, but what I'm saying is somebody in their particular position, it doesn't matter what they do. It, it could be a teacher. It could be a, a, a congresswoman. It could be a, a photographer. It doesn't matter. But somewhere in there, we don't, we, we see a person and, right. and who they are and how they come across the individuals. And it's that non-technical side of a leader, non-technical side of a person. And my role is I want to help hone that and, and really cultivate it in a way that makes somebody at some point realize that, oh, all these other things that the state's asking me to do, for example, as a school principal who's an in improvement required through the accountability system in Texas, all these hula hoops, so to speak, mm -hmm. that they have to jump through. They've got to do a targeted improvement right. plan. They've got to do a turnaround plan for the next two years. They've got to find out their root cause analysis and provide their problem statements and then put together a plan, right? That is all essential. But if you don't have that personhood developed in a way that shows compassion that shows the ability to listen and to really understand and to relate to people, then all that really is nothing. And so I, I say that to say that we were talking about dream hoarding, <laughs> which is uh, an, a concern. And, and we're talking about social justice and fighting for equality and things of that nature. Uh, but I think we cannot overlook how critical it is to develop the personhood, you know, to be self-aware and to know who we are and the gifts we bring and to 
and to know that we may all be different and we may all have our different personalities, but we've got to be a quality person while we're trying to navigate through, in this case, the principalship right. or uh, for a politician and, and, and their role. And the more you can show that you are good human uh, and, and that you listen and you care about people, then the better off you're going to be. Right? In any regard. Yeah. Amen. 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 <laughs> See why I like talking to you, Lizzie. Yeah, we could we could go all night. I if know, you give Jess like some it. more wine, we're here forever. We're <laughs> Lizzie, I have enjoyed our conversation so much, and I know the people listening are enjoying your conversation. Um, thank you so very much for joining me and for for bringing this this idea to the forefront of my mind because it changes the way that I look at things and it makes me think about thinking which is cool. It's what, I, I do believe it's what teachers do. So thank you sure. very much. It has been my pleasure. And I'm always here if you ever need me to come back, but you are doing an awesome job. I'm so proud of you. And I'm proud to know you, Jen. I think you're on to something really, really special. Again, you're a natural at this. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Lizzie. So are you. Thank, thank you. you. See y'all later. I'm Jen Maestas, and you're listening to Miseducation. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.